Tonight we will simply read verse 6. John chapter 3, verse 6. Brethren, let us hear God's precious word. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Thus saith the word of God. Now, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ makes very plain here that there is a very clear difference between that which is the product of natural birth, that which is born of the flesh, is flesh. That's what it is. That's all it is. That's all it ever can be. Natural generation. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. These are two different things. Whatever is born of God's Spirit likewise, is spirit. And that's what it is. Uh, Unless God births us by His Spirit, we may know the first birth, being born in the flesh. But uh, unless His Spirit opens our hearts, we will never know the second birth, to which He refers as being born of the Spirit. We may be born of the flesh, and hear about the kingdom, and never enter it. Only being born of God's Spirit will bring us into that glorious and holy kingdom of which the Lord speaks here. Now we've been considering the doctrine of efficacious grace. Irresistible grace, as it is known sometimes. In our last study, we considered Christ's rebuke to Nicodemus, when he said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? And we surveyed some of the passages that speak of God's promise of inner transformation, which Nicodemus apparently did not understand. We covered passages that related water and spirit. Uh, we looked at uh, passages that regarded a new heart and a new spirit, a heart of flesh, a circumcised heart, and a heart to know God. All of these speaking of God's miraculous work, changing men, preparing them to enter His glorious kingdom and to walk with Him unto eternal life. Now, all of these speak of a spiritual change. This is not something that the flesh can affect. And this is why we took the time to sort out some of those scriptures and see why Christ was reproving Nicodemus. Nicodemus couldn't grasp this issue of spiritual birth. However, uh, this is exactly Christ's point. It is only by this glorious and holy work of God in men that they can know eternal life and the kingdom. So, Men will never bear fruit of love to God in obedience, except they undergo this transformation. Now, the idea of inner transformation is continued and developed even uh, with even more clarity in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. Uh, last week, the Old Testament and that which Nicodemus should have understood. This week, the New Testament and uh, hope that we will understand Uh, the clearer light of the New Covenant Scriptures. May we not be New Testament Nicodemuses. May God in His mercy open our eyes to understand His Word. 
So tonight we're really going to do basically a survey of many of the, the extremely rich passages found throughout the New Testament regarding this same change. Uh, <clears throat> it is certainly more explicit in the New Testament, and that is why some erroneously have thought it uh, only a New Testament doctrine. But its clarity uh, does not mean that it wasn't found in the Old Testament. <clears throat> now, uh, our, the title of our message this evening is That Which is Born of the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit. Salvation is all of grace. That is the title of this entire series, By Grace Ye Are Saved. And what we mean by this grace, and especially in this doctrine, is God sending His Spirit according to His eternal purpose to open the hearts of lost sinners and bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that miraculous birth takes place, there are things that will be observed in the life wherein that miracle has been worked. <clears throat> to begin with, we want to look at the words to beget and to give birth to. Uh, we find passages throughout the New Testament that use the terms born again, born of the Spirit, begotten of God, <clears throat> born of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of course, uses that here, being born of the Spirit, uh, in John chapter 3. And we understand that this is the sovereign work of the Spirit. As we saw last week, and the week before, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest, hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This is a sovereign work that God uh, applies to His elect, and they have no more to do with this, as we have seen, than any natural human being has to do with his own birth. None of us has the power to generate himself. No one just decides to be birthed. That doesn't happen that way. It is always the work of someone else. And that is exactly why these terms are applied to this miracle. It cannot be affected by the flesh. Christ's word. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. New life. Miraculous life from God animates the sinner and brings him to glorious faith in Jesus Christ and a new life of holiness, which we will see unfolded. Now, this is made as plain as anywhere in the New Testament that I know of in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. John chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 12 is very often used in modern evangelicalism to try to uh, move people to what we call a decision, making a decision for Christ. <clears throat> and they make an appeal to men on the basis of this verse. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Inevitably, they leave off verse 13. Rarely do you ever hear verse 13 brought in when that verse is brought up. Verse 13 is what makes verse 12 clear. It says, 
which were born, there's our word, born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I don't think it could be any clearer, and yet uh, you can read many modern works that do everything they can to still give all of the birthing here to man. Whereas it couldn't be any plainer that all of the birthing is to God. Why is it that they receive the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, are given power to become the sons of God? It is because they are born of God. They are not born of blood. It isn't because of the family line through which you come. It is absolutely true that God very often works in godly families. It is not unusual for God to save the children of parents who are born of God's Spirit. Of course, we acknowledge that. It's found in the Scriptures, and we know it to be true by experience as well. But it isn't because of the blood. It isn't because of their family line. It is because of God's sovereign, eternal purpose. He can take from the same womb a Jacob and an Esau. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. While he was in, as is often said, covenant line, Esau was not of God's elect. Uh, what made the difference was not the family that he was born in. It is the family that he was called that, that any man is called to by the Spirit of God. That's why he goes on to say it's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. It isn't because I will myself to be born. That goes completely counter to the image itself. As I've said, the illustration and the very words chosen by our God are those which should give us the picture of something that cannot be affected by the one who is affected. It is not because of my particular will. It is not because of the will of man. If parents know anything, they know they cannot make their children Christians. They cannot make them love Christ. And preachers, while they may be able to persuade men uh, into some particular form of religious experience, the preacher in and of himself can birth no one. He brings forth the Word of God, which is used by the Spirit of God, in that glorious new birth. But it isn't the will of the individual or, or of men outside the individual. It isn't because of the family from which they come. Their stock is not why they are born of God's Spirit. So certainly it isn't just because I've willed to be birthed that I'm birthed. As many as received Him, to them and to them alone gave He power to become the sons of God, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. First John chapter 2, verse 29, a verse that we have heard before in our studies through First John, says, If ye know that He is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. This is another issue that's so vitally important when we come to the new birth. 
We are born unto something. Very often today the idea is just as long as I sort of nod my head and say, yes, I'm in agreement with certain facts about the atonement, then I'm, I'm saved and that gets me born again. This is not the picture of Scripture. God comes in His sovereign work and He births men into His kingdom. Now, very often when people simply, quote, make decisions, they sign their card, they pray their prayer, uh, they, they make some type of outward profession of faith, then they disappear. You don't see them again. Uh, you don't, uh, they're rarely uh, active church members, and yet they're utterly convinced that they're bound for heaven. But the Word of God teaches that this transformation, this efficacious grace that works within men, produces something. They are born unto righteousness. They are obedient people. Why? Not because they are by, by their natural birth, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but because of the spiritual birth, that which is born of the Spirit. Amen. Because we're born of God's Spirit, there is a desire in us to obey the word of our God. Now, how do I know that? How can I say that with such confidence? Well, because the word of God tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that it is God that worketh. Notice, God, the one who births, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you don't want to do the things of God, he's not there. If you do not will the things of God, He's not there. Because He works in us to will and to do. Therefore, John can say with confidence, if you know that He is righteous, Christ, the one by whom we're born of the Spirit, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him, has been born. The fruit is clear. First John chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And as we looked in our study when we went through John chapter 3, he is not talking about a sinless perfection here. But he is simply saying that the natural inclination of the child of God by the new birth is not to pursue sin. This is not the character of what we are by the new birth. Yes, the flesh is here. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. We understand that. But what we are by the new birth longs for the righteousness of God and does the righteousness of God. And he doesn't live a life of rebellion against God. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Born of God. By our flesh, we do not naturally love God. We do not naturally love one another. And when I say that, uh, once again, at the fear of being overly repetitious, the the, the, the thing that John is driving home to us over and over in his epistle and that we find in the scripture is the fact that love is not a feeling. Love is not simply some emotion. 
But it is, in fact, the choice to treat people according to the law of God. As defined in Romans chapter 13 for us, and as defined from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, the entire Old Testament speaks to us plainly that uh, all 39 books are about loving God and loving one another. This is the content of obedience to God's command. That is love for one another. Brethren, if that is not in our lives, efficacious grace is not in our lives. Because it is efficacious. That which is born of the the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Those born of Christ's Spirit will believe on the Christ of Scripture. Those born of Christ's Spirit will obey the Christ of Scripture. And they will learn, sometimes sooner, oftentimes later, how to walk in overcoming this world. It, because that's the nature of Spirit. That's the nature of Holy Spirit. That is what will be the fruit of God working in us to will and to do. We are born in God's Spirit uh, image And by that uh, being born again in His image, being empowered by His Spirit, we will walk according to His Word. Faultily? Sure. Sensing our limitations? Of course. Grieving over our sins? Certainly. But we will walk with our God. That's the nature of being born of the Spirit. Peter says it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. There's the term. He hath begotten us again. You notice over and over and over, never once does it say anything about our birthing ourselves. Never. It's always... Begotten of God, begotten of the Spirit, born of God, begotten of God. Who is the agent? Who's the Father? God. He has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope. Why is it living? Because the Spirit of God dwells within us, opening our hearts, our minds, to receive the promises of God. And we believe what God promises us. We believe Him and we trust Him. And we walk in it. We are born, we are begotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We believe that in His resurrection is our own resurrection. And the Spirit of God confirms this in our heart by the Word of God. Verse 23 of the same chapter says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And God comes by the glories of His quickening Spirit. He brings us to the recognition of truth. We don't just get 
born again, we experience revelation. God's Spirit opens our minds to receive, to believe eternal truths. The perennial example, of course, is Lydia, Acts chapter 16, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended the things spoken by Paul. <clears throat> Many people hear the, the words of Paul Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and their lives are never changed. There's never anything about them that's any different. They go about their religious lives without any transformation. But there are others who hear, and they love what they hear. And they long to walk in what they hear. And they grieve when they can't walk in what they hear as they long to. These are all signs of life. And it's by the Word of God. God, by His Spirit, makes us able to receive eternal truth. And we do. And we believe unto life. Another term is renew. Renew. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Why does a Christian remain a Christian? Now, of course, I have to make the, the, the distinction. There are those who profess to be Christians. And from our perspective, they are. They've made a profession. They followed the Lord in baptism. But in time, perhaps, their lives show that they fall away as the dog. They return to their vomit. They make Hebrews 6. Uh, their lives become a commentary of Hebrews 6. They fall away from the faith. They turn back to the things of this world. All right. Were they ever a Christian? Well, in name and profession, well, they certainly were. Uh, they weren't professing to be Hindus. They weren't professing to be Buddhists. Uh, they were professing to be Christians in a nominal sense. They were Christians. But were they God's elect? Were they God's regenerate ones? No, they were not. They were not. Why was there a falling away? Because the root of the matter is not in them. God's children are renewed day by day. Why, after my poor performances yesterday or today, Will I awaken tomorrow and seek my Lord's face for the strength to walk with Him yet again? It's not because I'm wonderful. It's not because I'm so powerful. It's not because I'm strong. It's because He is wonderful. Amen. It's because He is powerful. And because He is strong, renewing us day by day. We're alive. And God, in His glorious, eternal life, keeps us alive, constantly renewing this outwardly perishing man. If you came to Christ 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a month ago, and today you still love Him and desire to walk with Him, it is because He renews. Same thing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Colossians 3, verse 10. <clears throat> it says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, he's commanding the Colossians to live like what they are. Putting on the new man is talking about living 
according to what God has made us by the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We have to put on the new man. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And the new man is that which by the regenerating and renewing power of the Holy Ghost walks in obedience to God. Walks in love and in faith. Putting on the new man means acting, living, doing what a Christian ought to act and live and do. How is it that we can do that? Because we are renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. This idea of creation also plays into the idea of the new birth. New creation is yet another word that expresses this this life of inner transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There's the word. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, does it mean that uh, all of a sudden I now, uh, before I was a Christian, I couldn't play the piano, and now as a Christian, now I'm uh, immediately able to play the piano or the violin? Well, no, that's not what it's talking about. Does it mean that before I was terrible in math, and now I, I'm born of God's Spirit, and I'm wonderful in math? No, I can tell you that I've, I've not improved in math since the Lord has had mercy on me. In the old man... We are basically what we were. Our, uh, uh, our physical constitution doesn't generally change. If we are those given by nature to melancholy, we'll still find some of that in us. If we're those given to optimism, we still find that something about us in it, uh, something about that in us. If uh, we're given to vivaciousness or quietness, uh, those things generally stayed the same. Our voices don't change. The color of our eyes doesn't change. Uh, the wrinkles don't go away. But all things in the Spirit become new. All things in the Spirit become new. What our inclinations were are now consecrated to the Lord. And the desire of our heart is to use what gifts we have. Our And pray that He would help us in our weaknesses. We can improve in, in various things simply because now we have a heart and mind to do them to the glory of the Lord. But the new birth doesn't give us brand new special proclivities in a physical sense. But in the, in the, in the spiritual sense, it absolutely does. We see things differently. We hear things differently. We understand things differently. Because we are new creatures created in the image of of God renewed in the image of our holy God. We now have a thirst for hunger that was never there, uh, for righteousness that was never there. We have a hunger for that which is righteous and pure and, and holy, which was never there. And though our uh, physical uh, countenances in and of themselves, uh, we don't get particularly uh, uh, more handsome or or more beautiful because we're born of God's Spirit, there is a change in our countenance because we are new creatures that very often is lovely. There is a joy in our heart that is expressed now through our lives and through our, our eyes and our words that was not there before. It's not a physical change. This is a spiritual change because the life from heaven now animates us. The new man. The new man. 
I'm going to come back to that term. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now here, he's talking about the work that he does in bringing together in the church both Jew and Gentile. Now, of course, this is still by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a use of the new man in the sense that we'll see in the next verse. But he's making a new man, a new creation, a new thing here by the power of the Holy Spirit when he brings Jew and Gentile together into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both the Jew and the Gentile receive circumcised hearts to love the Lord, the promise that was given to the Jews. That we are grafted into the glorious uh, promises of God that he gave to Israel and to that precious olive tree. We are brought together in a holy union and communion by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says, And that ye, you Gentiles, you Ephesians, put on the new man. Here's that putting on language again. Put on the new man. He's not saying, now birth yourself again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when, when I tell you to put on the new man, I'm telling you to live like what you are in the Spirit. You Ephesians were pagans. You were separated from God. You lived in darkness and in the vanity of your mind. You were cut off from God. But God in His holy mercy came to you. And He gave you a new heart. He made you a new man. Now live like that new man. Your flesh is always going to want to be what it is. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You live like what you are in God's Spirit by faith and trust in Him. Believe His promises and walk in joyful obedience. <clears throat> the new man after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's why we do holiness. That is why we will do righteousness. And that's why John says in his epistle... If he does righteousness, it's because he's born of God. Brother, does this make sense? Do you see this? This is a doctrine that is uh, absolutely uh, permeates the Scriptures. This is desperately what any man needs. And this is the promise of the glorious new covenant. Well, just a few more words. We also come across the word in, in uh, the King James. Quickened. <clears throat> Quickened. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Brethren, this is one of the most precious verses I know of. Even when... There's Paul's emphasis. <laughs> Even... When we were dead in sins, separated from God, cut off under His wrath and judgment. This is what we deserve. This is what uh, the wages of sin had earned for us and were driving us to a final death had God in His mercy not intervened. Even when we were 
separated from a holy God by our filth and our vile and our vile sins hath quickened us together. The word quicken means to make alive. To make alive. He hath made us alive together with Christ. The union with Christ is one of the most blessed doctrines in Scripture. Brethren, salvation is is a, a huge umbrella term with many wonderful facets under it. And while justification by faith is the very heart of the gospel that we preach, that we are justified by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blessed righteousness is imputed to us. This is something that God does for us in Christ. But union with Christ is something that God does in us that is a living miracle bringing us into union with Him that is life. He that hath the Son hath life. He dwells within us by the glory a glorious power of the Holy Spirit. And we are alive. We are in union. This has ramifications for every aspect of life. We're in union with Him who is holy. We're in union with Him who is life itself. And because of that, it cannot help but manifest. It is efficacious because He and we are one. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Quickened together, made alive with, with him, not just by, but with. The holy lover of our souls comes to commune with us, to live with us, This is what Jesus promised in John 14. He said, I and the Father will come and live in Him that obeys. They don't earn His presence by their obedience. He opens their hearts to believe. They believe in Him. They trust Him. And by the power of the Spirit, they take up residence within Him. And they manifest themselves more and more as we obey. Quicken together with Him. James chapter 1, verse 18, as I said a while ago, of His own will, begat us, begat us with the word of truth. He brought us forth that we should be a first fruits of His creatures. Finally, the, the last word we'll look at this evening is the word regeneration. Chapter 3 of Titus, verse 5. Chapter 3 of Titus, verse 5. Paul writes to the young bishop not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy follow the grammar he saved us subject God verb saved direct object receiving the action of the verb us how did he save us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Brethren, 
He saves us by the cleansing work of the Spirit of God who comes and works within us. As you, a word that you find often in the Puritans' writings, vivifying us, giving us life. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We go on with our God because we are made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. This is our salvation. Because by that salvation, by that glorious renewing and regeneration, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance springs forth out of regeneration. Faith springs forth out of regeneration. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He saved us by regenerating us. He shed this on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, we could go on. There are other verses. But this is plenty for us. Brethren, we've, we've looked at this efficacious grace for four messages. God in His mercy has come to us effectively working. We're not saying that there are not times when men do not resist the Spirit of God. The Bible plainly shows that they do. But when God is after His elect, He will never fail to bring them to Himself. This grace, which comes in the effectual call, or the call, as Paul writes of it so many times, is, is animated, is energized by the glorious, vivifying power of the Holy Spirit. It moves in our hearts and brings us to see ourselves, to repent of our sins, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to go on and walk with Him unto eternal life. Clearly the new birth is a major doctrine of Scripture. As we saw last week, it's found in the Old Testament. But it is especially clear in the New Testament. And the terminology makes as plain as human language can express that it is God who does this miraculous birthing and not men themselves because that which is born of the flesh is flesh and enmity against God that which is born of the spirit is spirit as the principle of spiritual life in God's children repentance faith and sanctification all spring from the new birth this miraculous work of God's grace begins in God's effectual call and draws God's blessed children to Himself. When a man is born of God's Spirit, he never fails to repent of sin, believe on Christ, and enter into a life of new obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your gospel calls us to believe on Thee. 
And in our fleshy state, we can hear that call over and over again, and we will never come to Thee. But when Your Spirit comes and opens our hearts, we will flee to Him who is most holy, most pure, most righteous and good. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for life that is in Thee. Thank You for Thy efficacious grace. Be generous. Pour it out as you have upon us, upon millions. To the glory of Jesus Christ we ask. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying His word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The Prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.